open your Bible, please, the book of Isaiah, chapter number 44. <clears throat> Isaiah, chapter number 44. I'm thrilled to be here. I really am. I look forward to this, kind of like a reunion, uh, kind of like family. Really, it is. Uh, you know, you people are my brothers and sisters in Christ. And pastor reminds me a lot of my retarded grandfather, so it's kind of like it's just kind of like family when I come here, and I'm used to it, but I, I love this place. I mean it. I really do. I love your pastor. Folks, listen to me. I hope you'll invite, you'll pray and pray and pray and ask God to use you. Well, I'll leave it up to somebody else. No, you know people nobody else in this church knows. Yeah. You know people that no other Christian knows anywhere. Think of it. You're the only person between that unsaved person and hell. Baseball, somebody fails, somebody comes off the bench. Uh-uh. Talking about souls. If you fail that friend, more than likely today in America, there's no one to come off the bench and take your place and tell that person how to be saved. Let's make it a week of impact. Pray, invite, blackmail, kidnap. I don't care what you do, okay? But bring somebody this week to revival. Look in your Bible. Isaiah 44, verse number 13. The carpenter stretches out his rule. He marked it out with a line, fitted it with planes, marked it out with a compass, looked after the figure of a man according to the beauty of a man, but may in the house. He with him down cedars and take of the cypress and the oak which he strengthens for himself among the trees of the forest. Plath the ash, and the rain doth nourish it. Then shall it be for a man to burn. He will take thereof and warm himself, yea, he <coughs> kindleth it, <coughs> maketh bread, <coughs> yea, he maketh a god, and worship it, maketh it a graven image, and fall it down thereto. But it part thereof in the fire, part thereof he eateth flesh, he roasteth roast and is satisfied, yea, he warmeth himself and saith, Aha, I am warm, I have seen the fire, and the residue thereof he maketh a god. Will somebody please give me a glass of water? <coughs> Thank you very much. The story I just read, by the conduct of a heathen man, let's say down in the Amazon. Guy wakes up one morning, grabs his axe for the woods. It is the woods. He looks for a tall, straight, lofty tree. Pretty soon, he locates the perfect tree, cuts it down, he drags that tree all the way back home. Time he gets home, approaching supper time. Once again, picks up the axe, goes off, chops off part of the tree, brings it in the house. They use that as firewood to cook supper. Later on, the sun sets, the evening chill comes. Once again, picks up his axe, goes out, cuts off more of the tree, brings it in the house. They use that as firewood to keep warm. Look in your Bible, verse number 17. And the residue thereof, that means the leftovers thereof, the remains thereof, he maketh a God. Verse 17 describes how a heathen man treats his God. He gives his God what's left over after food, what remains after fuel. Primarily, a heathen man gives his God the scraps, the leftovers, and the residue. That thought in mind this morning, I want to preach on this subject, giving God the garbage. Number one, a definition. <coughs> what is garbage? Say, preacher, I know what garbage is. I'm aware of that, familiar with that. What is garbage? So I said, preacher, 
what my wife fixed for supper last night. I hope not, okay? I hope not. Brother Mark, I don't know what garbage is. Out there at the dump or the landfill, it's a horrible place full of worms and maggots. It smells horrible. Now, wait, wait. You don't have to the morning service without looking at your garbage can. In your garbage can, you'll find some vegetables. The corn is still yellow. The peas are still green. They're not spoiled. They're not rotten. You want to reach down, pick them out, put them in your mouth, chew them up and swallow them. Thank you, dear. What happened? You get nutrients and protein from them. Now, wait, they're in the garbage. Why? One reason why they're called garbage, they're simply left over. Friend, that's exactly how you and I give God the garbage. If I have time left over, if I get around to it, I might pray. Nothing good on television, I might come to revival one night during the week. And my friend, listen to me, that's what garbage is. It's not giving your Bible. In fact, dogmatically, the Bible says, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Anytime you and I serve Jesus Christ on the basis of, 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 of just what's easy, instead of the basis of dedication, we're guilty of giving God the garbage. Thank God he didn't give garbage. He gave his best. He gave the one and only son he had. He gave everything for you. Yet we want to, I don't want to give too much. I don't want to go too much. God help us. When they pulled Christ off that cross, took the nails out, he gave his body, his soul, his blood, his spirit. When they pulled Christ off, he was just the frame of a man, nothing left inside. Yet we play the game, what's Christ really worth to you? Is he worth anything at all? Or are you guilty of giving God the garbage? Number one, the definition. Number two, what dimensions? There are two areas I want to talk about today that were guilty, Joe Mark concluded, of giving God the garbage. Two areas. Number one, first of all, in regard to our time. Ever said this? I know I should read the Bible, but I don't have time. I know I should go to church on Sunday night, but I don't have time. I know that uh, there are activities I should do for God, but I don't have time. Time out, okay? Your Bible says it was God that put 24 hours in a day. See, when you say, I don't have time, what you're doing is you're blaming God. Boy, Brother Mark, God put 50 hours in a day. I read my Bible through every week. God, don't give me that. That's not true. It's not a time problem. It's a priority problem. See, you've always got time for your wife. Why? You better have, amen, because you love her. Yeah, yeah. Isn't it strange? Claim to love Jesus Christ, and the Bible's closed. Never talked to him in prayer. Some of you guys treated Jesus Christ, treated your wife like you treat Jesus Christ. She'd be terribly upset. Your wife loves you. More than that, Christ loves you. And yet, my friend, we're guilty of saying, if I get around to it, Jesus, if I have time, you know, my friend, Bible, I'll tell you again, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. That is the word of God. Turn your Bible, if you would, please, to Psalm 119. I love this psalm. In every verse in this psalm except three, the Bible's mentioned, Psalm 119. I'm going to point out a certain aspect of this today. Don't get nervous. I'm not going to touch on all hundred and some verses, but just five or six verses, okay? So settle down. You won't miss lunch. 
because I don't want to miss lunch either. Amen. Here we go. Look in your Bible. Psalm 119, verse 25. The psalmist said, my soul, what's the wording? Cleaveth unto the dust. He's stuck in the dirt. Depressed, discouraged, defeated. But now wait, read further. The next word, my friend, is quicken. What's that word quicken mean? It means literally revive. The same word is translated revive, is revive quicken. Now watch it. My soul cleaveth under the dust. What's the answer? Quicken. Revive me, O Lord. How? According unto thy word. What do you do? He got the Bible out. He read the Bible. His heart was stirred. The joy came back. The thrill came back. Why? Because he spent time in the word of God. Look at your Bible again. Verse number 50. This is my comfort in my affliction. He's going through affliction. That could be some kind of physical problem. He's down on the dumps. Again, he's discouraged. Where's he find comfort? He found comfort in the same place you'll find comfort. Why? For thy word hath quickened me. Thy word hath revived me. He opened the Bible. Instead of griping and complaining and bellyaching and criticizing, he got the Bible down. As he read the Bible, he got revived in his heart. A revived Christian is a happy Christian. Will thou not revive thy people in the midst of years? They might rejoice in thee. That's revival right there. Your heart rejoicing. Why? You spend time in the Word of God. Look in your Bible again. Look at verse number 93. I'll never forget thy precepts or thy teachings. Why? For with them thou hast revived me. He said, I can't forget it. Man, I was down as low as I could go. What happened? Thank God I had enough sense to get the Bible out. As I read the Bible, I was quickened. I was made alive again spiritually. Again, look in your Bible, 107. I am afflicted very much. Wow. Not just afflicted, afflicted very much. What changed that? The next word again. Look at it, please. Quicken. Revive me, O Lord. How? According unto thy word. The Bible said thy words were found. I did eat them. They were the joy and rejoicing of my heart. Why? He got the word of God in his heart, in his soul. And the happiness came back. The joy came back. Because of his relationship to the word of God. Look again, please. Verse number 154. Plead my cause and deliver me. Quicken. There's that word quicken, revival. Revive me. How? According unto thy word. Friend, I'm going to tell you an impossibility. You cannot live for God. Cannot live for God. And neglect the word of God. God. Many years ago, one of my ex-friends, all I have anymore are ex-friends, but anyway, one of my ex-friends called me up, said, hey preacher, get your wife, I'll get my girlfriend, let's go to the state fair, fair at Springfield, Illinois. Talk about excitement, thrills, action. Boy, you can't beat the state fair. We got to see the hogs and the cattle and the chickens and the squirrels. I almost become Pentecostal looking at rabbits, I'll tell you, man. They thrilled my heart. Wait, it gets better. Then we got to go see, ready? <clears throat> Ready? Then we got to go see the knitting huh? and the needlework. What could thrill a man anymore looking at needlework, I'll tell you. I spoke in tongues looking at needlework. But it was great. It was exciting. Here's the highlight. Ready? In the big tent, you can't beat this. Ready? Pickles and preserves. That doesn't fill your heart, nothing will. I'll tell you that right now. My buddy said, I had enough of this stuff. Let's get out of here. I said, I'm right behind you. He said, let's go to the carnival. I said, good deal. Now, I'll tell you, when I go to a carnival, man, I want to get on the fastest 
wildest, highest, most dangerous merry-go-round in the entire place. Now, friend, I'm being honest. I am. I'm a macho merry-go-round man. I really am, okay? We walked in there. First thing my buddy said, hey, let's go on the roller coaster. I said, you forgot, dummy. Forgot what? This is Saturday. This is the Old Testament Sabbath. Amen. You don't ride roller coasters on the Sabbath. That's against the Bible. I don't know where, but it's there somewhere, okay? You know, let's go over here. He said, preacher, I got it. I got it. He said, let's go over here, <clears throat> and we're going to get on this ride. It's a wonderful ride. He said, you're going to enjoy it. He said, it's called the Mad Mouse. I said, the what? He said, the Mad Mouse. We went over. First thing is this. We get in these little cars. They weren't made for you and I, buddy. No, no. We get in these little cars. Listen, when you're my cars, all right? We got in these little cars. I came up, put a metal bar across my body and locked me in. I thought, this baby's got some centrifugal force, man, I'll tell you. All of a sudden, it starts to move. We go up an incline about like that. We get at the top. The thing stops. It spins around three times. All of a sudden, it shot down an incline about like that, and at least 4,000 miles. I went rolling down, hit the bottom, up the other side. My stomach kept right on going down. I wept. I prayed. I made some holy vows. Could I be honest? I got saved four times on the Mad Mouse. I did. It's the worst experience I ever had in my entire life. Hey, come on. Get, get honest today. Is your Christian life like the Mad Mouse? You serve God a while and quit, break a habit, fall back into it, intend to witness, and you crash, and it goes to hell. Why? Why is there so much vacillation, fluctuation in our lives as Christians? There's one reason. Get a hold of it. One reason. We got time for everything, everybody, except the only thing that brings spiritual maturity. That is the Word of God. If you're too busy for the Bible, get rid of some junk. Let God work in your heart through this book. Stir your soul. And make something powerful and pungent out of you, my friend. Yes, the mad, the, the, the dimension. The first one, we give God the garbage of our time. You say, preacher, you don't understand. I got a wife. I got, I, I got a home to take care of. There are things I like to do. I don't have time to read my Bible. Now, wait. Imagine every day you read your Bible and prayed. I'll put them together. Fifteen minutes. You know how much of your time that would be? Just a smidgen. Over 1% of your time. Come on, tell me how busy you are. Then tell me that Christ is not worth 1% of your time. The truth is, he's worth more than that. We got all the excuses. He didn't make any excuse. He just walked up a hill to have nails in his hands and a spear in his side and a crown of thorns hammered in his head. And we got the excuses, but I'm going to guarantee you something. When you stand before Christ's Bible, every mouth will be stopped and the whole world becomes guilty before God. Not one of your excuses for not reading the Bible will hold water when you're as close to Christ as you're ever going to be. Jesus, I didn't have time for you. Thank God. Thank God. He found six hours to die for you. Can't give him 15 minutes. Shame on you.
two areas. Number one, we, the first dimension, we give God the garbage of our time. Number two, we give God the garbage of our testimony. Turn your Bible, if you would, to Romans chapter 1. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1, there are two great statements on Bible dedication. Romans chapter 1, here we go. Verse 1, Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated. You say, Brother Mark, that's us. Hey, at this church, we're separated Christians. We don't drink. We don't smoke. We don't chew. We don't eat mayonnaise. We hate liver. Somebody say amen. I'll tell you. Maybe you ought to hate liver if you're a Christian, really. But anyway, you say, Brother Mark, hey, we are separated Christians. Yes, we are. Now, wait. Your Bible talks about two kinds of separation. Separation from something. I'm not drinking. I'm not smoking. I'm not chewing. I'm not watching pornography. That's good. What is the other separation? Look in your Bible. Romans 1.1. Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated not from something, separated unto the gospel of God. When Paul wrote that, he was saved. He said, I'm separated unto the gospel of God. What did Paul say? There's what he said. I made up my mind. I'm going out and tell people about Jesus Christ. I want to give out some tracts. I'm going to do something to keep somebody out of the flames and the fires of a place called hell. See, there's a Bible verse you don't like. If you're not witnessing, you don't like it. Dedication demands communication. Is that in the Bible? Here it is. All throughout the Word of God, dedication demands communication. What did Jesus say? Follow me, that's dedication, and I'll make you fishers of men. What is that? That is soul winning, sir. That's witnessing, sir. That's communication, sir. Don't tell me what a great Christian you are. You let your best friend go to hell. Hunting buddy, fishing pal, somebody you work beside. Let a neighbor 90 foot from your front door. Or you'll give to missions, but you won't walk 90 foot to keep a neighbor out of hell. Come on, tell me. No, my friend, Christ lived to get folks saved. Watch up. Died to get folks saved. Stop! On the cross, suffering hell. He stopped dying long enough to tell somebody else how to get saved. And you say, I don't have time. No, the truth is you don't care. May God stir our hearts in this matter of witnessing and sharing. Many years ago, a young man went to Moody Bible Institute in Chicago. They just finished midterm exams. They'd been studying hard all week, and two friends and himself went for a walk in downtown Chicago. They just wanted to get outside and walk around and get some exercise. They went downtown Chicago, got an ice cream cone, but on the way down, what happened is uh, the young man, the young man got, got tied, had to tie his shoe. His friend went down, got the ice cream cone. They lost track of where he was. They come back toward the dormitory, and he saw them, and they got in the dormitory before he did, but they opened the door. There stood Dr. R.A. Torrey, mighty man of God, holy man of God, great evangelist. 
When his two pals opened the door, he's back there trying to catch up with them. All right, Tori said, gentlemen, where have you been? One young man said, sir, we just went for a walk, got an ice cream cone. All right, Tori said, lead anybody to Christ? No. Witness to anybody? No. Our verbally, our tore that young man, tore into those two young men, ripped him up one side, down the other. The boy that missed him, missed him coming back, he got in the shade of a tree back there. He got under conviction. He said, man, we should have given out a track or something there. What happened? Stayed in the shade of the trees, around the back of the institute, up the fire escape, raised the window, got in a room, put the window down, afraid to light the old gas light. He got undressed in the dark, hopped in bed. He was almost asleep, and a thought hit him with tremendous impact. And the thought was just someday he's going to come and stand face to face, eye to eye, one on one, not before uh, R.A. Torrey, before Jesus Christ himself. And that day there'd be no hiding, there'd be no fire escapes, there'd be no trees. Alone before Christ, Christ saying, I died, I suffered their hell. I asked you to do was simply tell them, and you wouldn't do it. Dedication demands communication. Number one, a definition. What is garbage? Number two, the two dimensions. We give God the garbage of our time, the garbage of our testimony. We're embarrassed about Jesus Christ. Number three, and I'm through, the divine direction. You say, preacher, I'll be honest this morning. Some areas of my life, maybe you mentioned it, maybe something else in my life, but there's some changes I need to make. What do I need to do? The divine directions, look in your Bible. Go back to Isaiah 44. Please turn back there. Isaiah 44 Verse number 22, Isaiah 44, verse number 22, God said, I have blotted out as a thick cloud thy transgressions, as a cloud thy sins, return unto me. What did God say? Get up. Get up out of the stench and the decay and the rottenness. Stop wallowing in the filth. Get up. Come on back home. I like this. Amen. Let me cleanse you and restore you and make something out of you for my glory. The great Bible story, uh, just a few years ago, I, this thing hit me about application. Yeah, I'm sure you know the story of the prodigal son. Young man leaves home, goes in a far country, winds up in the hog pen, eating hog food and wallowing with the hogs. Does he come to himself and said, this will I do. I'll arise, go to my father and say unto him, there's a Going on. I have sinned against heaven in thy sight. I know I'm more worthy to be called thy son. Make me as one of thy hired servants. He said, I'm out of here. Thank God he left the hog pen. On the way home, he works on that speech. He memorizes that speech. He's got it down. Father, I have sinned against heaven in thy sight. No more worthy to be called thy son. Make me as one of thy hired servants. Four points to that speech. He gets almost home. The father's looking for him. He didn't make it home. God's looking for him. The Bible says he left, he ran. Keep in mind, looked like a hog, acted like a hog, ate like a hog, smelled like a hog, but God throws his arms around him and loves him, and the boy steps back and starts that speech. Father, I've sinned against heaven in thy sight. I know more worthy to be called thy son. <laughs> stop, 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 stop. He never finished his speech. 
You know why? God was so anxious to forgive that boy. He broke every law of etiquette. And before he could get to point number four, God said, bring forth the best. I got news for you. You take one step back toward God today, he'll meet you before you take step number two. He didn't throw it in his face. He loved him. He forgave him. All he wanted to say was, I've sinned. That's it. And the same thing's true in your life. You can go through life miserable and wretched and playing the game. Or you can get real with God and let God cleanse you and make something out of you. I was preaching in, in uh, Kansas City. And uh, the pastor came to me last day of a great revival. Hey, he said, there's a guy in the hospital we ought to go see. Got in the car. It was Wichita, actually. Drove downtown Wichita. Huge medical complex. Bring up the steps of the building. Uh, a lady was coming down the steps, I'd guess, probably in her mid-60s. And the pastor stopped her. Hey, he said, how's Charlie doing? Her eyes filled with tears. With much emotion, she said, preacher, Three doctors come in the room, examine my husband, most of me out in the hall, said, man, we got to prepare you. There's no hope. Maybe at the most, Charlie has three days to live at the most. Pastor said, is Charlie a Christian? She said, I don't know. I've asked him, claims to be saved, never reads the Bible, never prays, never goes to church. I don't know. On the steps, we bowed our heads, had a word of prayer. Preacher and I went in that building up to intensive care, walked down a long row of cubicles, come to a certain cubicle. We walked in with the bedside. As I looked down, I saw a man lying on the bed. It was almost like looking in the face of a skeleton. He was being fed intravenously, had a plastic hose inserted in each nostril. I thought he was asleep, but very quietly, the pastor said, Charlie, are, are you awake? The man's eyelids fluttered with those sunken eyes. He looked up, and the pastor said, don't say a word. Charlie, I got to give it to you straight, buddy. Play day is over. The doctor says, maybe at the most, you've got three days to live. Maybe not that long. So now, sir, if you're ever honest, be honest now. Charlie, are you certain you've accepted Christ? Are you sure you're on your way to heaven? All of a sudden, I saw that man struggle. I heard a rasping noise as he gasped for a breath of air. And just a whisper, he said, I'm trusting Jesus. Pastor said, Amen, Charlie. Pastor's reading some scripture. A nurse stepped in and said, Pastor, excuse me, you have an emergency phone call. The pastor left the room. Through that bed, as I looked down, man was shaking and sobbing, big tears running down his cheeks, on his chin, on his gown. I leaned over him. I said, Sir, could I get you a drink? Anything at all I could do for you? Again, that body shook and trembled, and I heard that rasping noise as he struggled for a breath of air. It's just a whisper. He said, no, sir, it's, it's my life. What happened next, once you see it, you'd never forget it. You'd never forget it. A third time, I saw that man start to struggle. I'm sure with much effort and great pain, all of a sudden, he just sat up in bed. When he sat up in bed, he looked toward heaven, threw both arms in the air. I couldn't believe it. He just screamed out. He said, <laughs> wasted. Then he sobbed and said, wasted, and fell back on the bed and wept and sobbed and shuck. 
said, what happened? I'll tell you what happened. God saved me as a teenager. Went through life and gave Jesus Christ the garbage and the filth and the leftovers. And that's not the end of the story. Two days later, Charlie died. And the Bible says the day is coming when you and I, just like Charlie, here's the Bible, every one of us, that's Christians. You can't escape it, buddy. You can lie about it, put it off. You can't escape it. Every one of us will give an account of himself unto God. You'll stand alone before Christ. In that day, you'll open your mouth. In that day, no excuses, no lies. In that day, it'll be true. And what happens? All the saints of all the ages will be watching you. Think of it. People that died for Christ will be there. And they'll think, what a sissy. He wouldn't even live in America for Jesus Christ. Wow. Wasted. 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 How sad. Wasted suffering of Christ. How sad. Wasted opportunity to reach the only person you know that no other Christian knows. How sad. How sad. This morning when you walk out that back door in your life, Jesus Christ is one of two things if you're saved. In some lives, he's Lord. You're not perfect, I know that. But you're reading your Bible, you're praying, you're trying to witness, you're trying to live for him. Can I be honest? All Christ is in some lives today, Jesus Christ is simply the garbage collector. Why? All he gets is the garbage, the scraps, the leftovers on some things I might be wrong, but on this I'm 100% right. Jesus Christ deserves more than garbage today. He deserves everything we have. Will you bow your head for prayer? Our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed.